Hello, and welcome to episode 35 of Scuttlebutt, a Marine Corps Association podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm just going to be quick today because we're going to jump into Vic's trip out in California. But uh, first, before we jump into that, I want to tell you about Modern Day Marine. It's running this week. It's in Washington, D.C. If anybody's in the area, stop by our booth. We'll be happy to see you. And if you can't make it, we'll be sharing on social media for, uh, throughout the week. Just some of the highlights from our industry partners and the Marine Corps leadership. So they kind of talk about how we're going to win tomorrow's battles. So, but back to Vic, who is out west talking to Paul Grieve, or Farmer Paul as he's called. Uh, he was an intelligence officer. He was in Iraq. And uh, when he got out of the Corps, tried the paleo diet was excited it was working for him, but when he was looking up how the meat was actually being processed, he was a little disappointed to find it, even though they said no antibiotics, even though it said it was free range. Not always the case. So he and his friends got together, started up Pasture Bird and Primal Pastures, and if you would love to hear about that, keep listening because Vic and Paul get into it. So without further ado, throwing out 2,800 miles to my west to Vic. All right, we'll catch you later. All right, welcome to Scuttlebutt. Um, I am Vic. Hello and welcome everyone. And I am really honored to be here with Paul Grieve, who is the owner and I guess head farmer yeah. of Pasture Bird Incorporated. Yeah. And uh, you started with is uh, Primal Pastures. It's also, so multiple business owner, former Marine, former O203. Uh, Paul, man, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, man. It's an honor. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, this is great. And just so for our listeners, as you guys know, I'm on the road. I'm out in Cali. I'm out in beautiful Marietta. It's an absolute gorgeous day. I don't mean to rub it in for you folks, <laughs> but I just want to give you guys some context that, yes, I am working, but this is a pretty sweet gig. <laughs> so so thank you so much for having me here. Definitely welcome. Um, so uh, just to give you guys a little uh, context, um, I was just sort of uh, trolling through LinkedIn and came across some of uh, Paul's um, posts. I mean, super interesting story. I'm not going to do it any justice. But uh, yeah, Paul, could you just tell us a little bit about you, who you are, and, and just your, some of your time in the Marine Corps, and then we'll get into you know, what it is that you're actually doing now. Yeah, for sure. So um, I grew up in downtown Seattle, city kid, really like no interest in food or farming. I was always an athlete when I was coming up. I came down to college in California to play baseball and ended up doing track and field and just really loving that. And I studied accounting. And um, as much as I loved accounting when I was graduating, like at 22 years old, it just sounded 0% interesting to sit in a cubicle and like start my, you know, back arching and just becoming like this <laughs> decrepit, like 35 year old. So yeah, like the, the cubicle gnome. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I didn't really intend on going into the military at all. I was thinking I would go on a missions trip or do like Peace Corps or something random like that out of college or travel. Um, but over the course of maybe a week, three guys that I really looked up to and respected all sort of independently said, hey, you should really think about like the military. And, um, you know, the first guy says it and he's like, oh, whatever, you know, not interested. Second guy, it's kind of like, oh, that that is a good idea. And then the third guy all in the same week. And I was praying for guidance and trying to think of what so to you do. You just planned this out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> These guys didn't even know each other. So, um, and then if I was going to do the military, I was definitely going to do the Marine Corps. That's just, that's what I wanted to do. And so um, I, I went in in 2007. I went to OCS and then TBS and got um, ground intel, which was like the MOS that I was really hoping for. And I deployed with a, with a MIT team in 2009 to Southern Iraq. And it was just a, it was a great experience. Um, it was all awesome. But what happened, I guess, to back it up, how I got into farming was I was in Scout Sniper Commander's course in Virginia, um, probably like 2008 or so. Mm -hmm. And um, we all, I mean, it's the backwoods of Virginia. So we were covered in ticks coming out of the field. Like, you know, you do the tick checks and yeah. there's like, I think we had 40, 50 ticks all over us. And I happened to get one that gave me Lyme disease. So I was oh, sort of getting the crazy bullseye rash. And it was just obvious, mm -hmm. classic Lyme. Um, and they got rid of it with antibiotics and stuff. But after that, I started to really feel like a lot of brain fog, fatigue, achy joints, just like stuff that I hadn't really experienced before. Mm -hmm. um, 
around that time, like 2008, 2009, CrossFit was starting to get really popular in the military, in the Marine Corps, and paleo was kind of like going with CrossFit. You yeah. Know? It was all this intersection back then. Yeah. And so I had some buddies just like, oh yeah, it's this thing, you eat like a caveman, like you could do, you know? and I was like, dude, that's so dumb, but I was really feeling like shit. So I was like, I wanna give it a try and just uh-huh. see. And I really felt so much better after just a couple of weeks of doing it. Like I could put a heavier ruck on, I didn't need to go with so much Motrin all the time. And it was like, okay, the first time in my life, I thought what I eat actually affects the way that I feel, yeah. which sounds elementary, but like I'd never even considered that before. Um, and so I went to Iraq, kind of came home, and I was geeking out on all this paleo stuff. I was feeling really good and doing CrossFit. It was like, this is this is awesome, you know? And we were going to the store trying to find good, healthy, organic food. And we could find produce, we could find grass-fed beef, but the one thing that we could not find was like legit chicken that was raised outside, living on pasture, like eating grass and bugs and worms and seeds and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And even at the farmer's market, we couldn't find it. So it was about 2012 at this point, we were kind of just, as a family joking around Easter time, 2012. Oh, that's crazy. That's 10 year anniversary. Um, I mean, think about that. That's yeah. Well, uh, congratulations. Should probably celebrate that yeah, yeah. with the family. That's a trip. Easter 2012, joking around about getting some just backyard chickens, you know? And um, we were joking. My brother-in-law apparently wasn't. He kind of like disappears from the room. He comes back 10 minutes later and he's like, hey, I just went online and like ordered 50 chicks. They're going to be here in two weeks. <laughs> They're like, dude, what are you doing? Are you I love kidding? that. It's not it's like, I got a couple. I got yeah. 50. I got 50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how our family does it. You know, um, we got the birds kind of like raised them up. We geeked out on this guy, Joel Salatin out of Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. He wrote a whole book called Pastured Poultry Profits about how to do this at small scale in your backyard. And our first time harvesting the 50 birds was legit like a chicken in a traffic cone upside down on a tree and like an iPad with YouTube. And it was like, Hey, back it up. Like, how did you do that? You know, eviscerating and doing all the processing and stuff. And, um, we thought those 50 would just be for our family because we have Mm -hmm. a huge family. Um, but we decided to just throw something up on social media and we're like, Hey, if any friends or family or anybody wants some, you know, we have 50 birds available and we're about to harvest. And like within two weeks, all 50 were reserved and people had put down deposits and they were like, going crazy and there was a waiting list building and it was like oh my gosh this is crazy you know and so I was out of the military at this time um, working as an accountant in Newport Beach I'd just gotten out and um, you know accounting sucked as bad as I kind of thought it would you know it was like like good money but yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) and it was like whoa that was gnarly you know so then the next month we did um, 100 birds and the same thing happened and then 200 and then 400 and pretty soon we were like um, doing these meetup points and we had this growing list of people that were really fired up on what we were doing and it was like I was an accountant so I knew and this is happening in your backyard this is all in like, backyard. yeah this and, then, and for those who don't know Southern California yeah Newport Beach ain't known for its backyard well, okay, this is in Temecula in the oh, this is, okay, okay my in-laws house in the in okay backyard. gotcha so they had two acres and Which it was is, like it's not a real farm right but yeah. it's not you know it's not a tiny backyard yeah either. but it's not so, Newport Beach yeah it was not prime farmland. It wasn't, you know, it was just a big backyard, essentially. And um, it was classic because back then we used to do farm tours. Mm-hmm. And we'd have people coming out from the city and be like, oh, this farm is so great. Like, it's such an awesome farm. And we're like, bro, this is a backyard. Like, my father-in-law, who grew up in the Midwest, would just laugh every yeah. time people oh, would come sure. for a tour. He's like, I can't believe these people think this is a farm. Yeah. <laughs> but it was all about transparency and, like, getting people to inspect what they expect. Like, a lot of those uh, military principles that... Um, it was just a rad way to start the business. And so we we started with chicken. We had people asking like, where would I get grass-fed beef from? Where should I get you know, pasture-raised pork? And so after a while of sending all this business to other farms, we found a couple of farmers that didn't really like to talk to people. They just wanted to put their head down and farm. And we were pretty good at selling. So we would buy animals from them. We would butcher them and then we would sell them to our customers. And it was like, this whole little business started to grow. And we called that Primal Pastures, which grew from like 2012 to 2015, up until the point where, um, this is a crazy story. So we had a breakthrough in 2014 when Kobe Bryant was playing for the Lakers and Steve Nash. And they were like these older dudes that were still trying to compete at this crazy high level. And they were looking for the most nutrient dense foods that they could possibly find. And Mm -hmm. budget was not an issue. for those They'll spend anything, you know? Um, so the team chef found out about us and they came out for a tour 
and they were just like blown away by how we were doing everything and how different it was and store-bought and like they didn't care about the price That's at all. That's so awesome. So our first ever wholesale customer was like the Lakers. Lakers. <laughs> and then the, the Dodgers found out what the Lakers were doing because they all trade yeah. notes. And so then our two, first two customers were like the Lakers and the Dodgers. No and way. That was a trip for Talk us. about coming out of the blocks. It was man. like, dude, this is some serious validation. Yeah. And in startup world, like anytime you can get a little dose of extra confidence, it helps, you know? Sure. Well, I mean, especially like for those clients, I mean, their bodies are their business. So they're 100%. not messing around. They're not screwing around. They're not trying to buy marketing claims. They don't care about our packaging yeah, or right. what the branding looks like. It's like they want the best freaking stuff they can buy. Yeah. And so it was a huge validation for us. Um, and, and from that experience is where we really started Passionbird because we were like, look, we have this little tiny backyard primal pastures thing. We sell to 500 families. It's this great, crazy expensive program. Yeah, the Lakers can buy it. Yeah, the Dodgers can buy it. But like, I didn't grow up with money, mm-hmm. you know? And by the way, we didn't start the business with any money either. It was 500 bucks each between four guys. And we we're like, we're never going to put another dollar into this. If yeah. it goes, it goes. If it right. doesn't, we'll go back to our- Just like know. maxing out credit cards. That's basically Credit it. cards. Yeah. That's why we got into chicken. Cause like chicken, we could buy a chick in the feed. And by the time that credit card payment was due, it was about when we could like sell the bird. Like that wouldn't That's work with insane. beef cattle yeah. or pigs or anything. You know, yeah. It's a way longer timeline to harvest them. Sure. But, um, Coming from a background with no money, it felt weird selling these crazy expensive products that like my mom and dad couldn't have afforded. And so it was like, okay, this is cool. It's great to offer these gold standard premium meats that like even Whole Foods, you know, you mm-hmm. would make their prices look cheap essentially. Right, it's right. the ex- most expensive stuff in the world. Um, but it's kind of a bummer because we're almost like producing food for rich people. And that's not us. Yeah, like, that's yeah. not what we were all about. So then we're like, okay, what would it look like to really scale up this model of like raising animals on pasture in a way that's regenerative for the environment. Like what would it look like to actually grow this hundred X and bring costs way down to the point where you're not whole foods prices. Like how do we get Trader Joe's prices? Mm-hmm. How do we get Albertsons type of prices? Like for every day, for everybody, yeah. people, I'm not saying we're ever going to be the cheapest, but how do we get it in striking distance for a normal family? Sure, you know? sure. And that was the genesis of Pasturebird. So it was all about building you know, automation and tech and this whole crazy automated range coop thing that we came up with in San Diego uh, and ultimately ends with like partnering with the largest organic chicken company in the country. And we could talk about all that, but that's really yeah. like how the whole thing happened and unfolded. That's, that's so amazing. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to touch on, on a lot of these key points here. It's like, it's just amazing to hear, because usually when you, when you think about business, I mean, um, and, you know, from the outside looking in, it's so easy to sort of demonize industry. Yeah. And especially for a small company that has grown so quickly into doing what it is, there's always sort of this nefarious, uh, at least from the world, according to Vic, there's sort of this idea that, oh, they're all about the bottom dollar. Once you get to a certain size, it's all about the bottom dollar. But to hear you say that, like, no... We're actually trying to make this accessible to people who don't normally get this kind of food on their table. Um, This sort of nutrient dense, humanely treated, like Mm -hmm. truly humanely Mm -hmm. treated, not just a sticker on on the box. And to give that to, you know, the everyday person who doesn't always have access to that that level of uh, nutrition. And it's so great to hear that. I'm sure that there's plenty of stories out there, but they're not advertised. Totally. Like you said, a lot of these guys just want to keep their head down and do their farming. We were the most anti-big ag ever. I mean, coming up in the like niche space, big ag is the enemy. Like they're the bad guys and they're the devil essentially. I mean, it's why you were having, you were struggling with your health. Totally. Right. So it wasn't for years until we realized like, okay, this is cool if we want to build a tiny niche for rich people. If we want to like actually move the needle and leave it better for our kids, which is the whole idea, like yeah. how do we leave the whole industry better for our kids? Big Ag is a critical part of that. So like, how do we give them real life solutions to do this stuff at scale and actually move the needle? Like that's what it all became. And what I realized is these big companies, like all they do is respond to consumer demand. So for the last 50 years, people have asked for cheap chicken. Guess what you got? Yeah. They did an excellent job actually of giving us cheap chicken. Like it's, you know, Compared to what it was in the 1950s or 1960s when families could afford like one chicken a week, and mm-hmm. that was a very expensive protein, 
I mean, it's come all the way now to where it's like the cheapest protein and people essentially eat it for budget econ economic reasons. Right. But I think people are asking for something different now. Like we've taken the needle so far the other direction. Yeah. It's like, okay, we need to recenter a little bit, I think. And so these big companies, yeah, you can demonize them. You can kind of like look at them as these faceless organizations. But what we found, at least within Purdue, is like, they're real people. They're, they're honest. Them. They're good people. And all they want to do is give customers what they want. And now the customers are asking for nutrient-dense foods, regeneratively grown foods, stuff that's good for the environment. They want to produce those kind of products, you know, yeah. in an authentic way too, which yeah. I would add is like a lot of these companies will just do it in a nefarious, ambiguous, misleading, greenwashing way. Well, dude, as we were getting ready for the show, we were talking about one of the companies that I thought was doing all of those things. And it's they're just really good at packaging their stuff. And man, I got to tell you that it, it hurts my heart. Yeah. But at the same time, like I do feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, man. You seem to be leading the charge on that, at least in the Southern California area. Yeah, I don't know about, I mean, I'm one of many, I think, that yeah. are trying to like, well, build not a enough, better though, future I don't, I'm for a, I fear. Maybe not enough. <clears throat> Maybe one of many, but we need more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm uniquely focused on helping big ag move their practices, where a lot of the backyard guys are like, and I think it's important, like we need change kind of at the farmer's market level yeah. all the way to like the Costco level, yeah. you know, and everybody in between needs yeah, to- Yeah, you gotta be to able to trust more than just the Amish, right? Totally, exactly, <laughs> exactly, well put. Um, and there's, and I apologize uh, for, I didn't write it in my notes, but like you just got a certification that it was unheard of in SoCal for your size of your operation, right? It's like, um, uh, it's like farm to table or it's uh, one of these, um, basically giving you accolades for the humane and sustainability mm. uh stuff that you had gotten maybe i'll put the benefit of uh i actually don't even the know the internet is. here and let me look it up you got a um See, my problem is sometimes, like, this news may have come out six months after I remember. Yeah, yeah. Remember. Well, you, you're just doing so well, man. That you yeah, don't right. Realize how good, how well you're actually doing. <clears throat> we'll we'll come back to it and we'll uh, we'll edit it. In no, it's fine. <laughs> later, I'm but, now I'm curious to know what it is. We'll definitely we'll definitely put some stuff in the show notes cool. that'll give links to your uh, to your website so everybody can see like all of the great things that you guys are doing. Awesome. Um, but uh, I guess going, if I want to rewind just a little bit yeah. in some of the, just how, what a small world this is. So you went to Concordia University in Irvine. Yep. So does that mean that you went through Oso, Orange County? Yeah. Dude, I went through Oso, That's Orange County. That's a trip. Yeah. That is crazy. Back in 97, dude. Okay. It was like, I, uh, you know, raised my right hand there in Irvine. Right off of, I think it was a McMillan or whatever. Yep. Is it still there? Yep, same spot. Dude, that's awesome. And then funny, you were at Third Tracks yeah. uh, until 11, you said? Yeah. And I came back to Third Tracks in 11. That is crazy, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's really crazy. Like the Marine Corps, I mean, people are always like, oh, you're in the Marine Corps. Do you know John? I'm like, come on, bro. Like, yeah, yeah, no. seriously. But that's crazy, actually. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so, and like, such a great, like you said, such a small community, but I mean, from a LinkedIn post yeah. to now here trip. we are, man. It's what so crazy. Um, so anyways, I digress. Um, so I guess I guess let's talk a little bit because it's just so amazing to me. It's such a great story of basically what started as a Facebook post yeah. now has you working with Purdue, the largest producer of chicken and hopefully the largest producer of like truly organic, sustainable yeah. chicken. Yeah, yeah. They're the largest organic. They are, um, yeah, I'm not going to go try to toot their horn, mm -hmm. um, but I would say, yeah, I would respect the heck out of the company. Largest organic, first ever to really go no antibiotics ever. Um, they're really pioneering in like the humane treatment of pigs with their Diamond Ranch brand. Um, they do a really great job with like grass-fed, grass-finished beef. I mean, they're really trying to push the bar forward. Yeah. Uh, and they always have within the industry. So when we started thinking about who we're going to, team up with. So chicken's tricky, dude, because it's a very vertically integrated industry where you have hatcheries and feed mills and you have slaughterhouses and you have distribution and like to be an off the shelf, independent, small poultry company is essentially unheard of in 2020, mm -hmm. 2022, whatever we are, um, because you don't, it's impossible to own all the links in the chain. Yeah. So in order to make it more accessible and affordable for more people, you either have to go 
find like $50 million to go start your own hatchery, feed mill and slaughterhouse and trucking and logistics and distribution, or you go partner up with somebody else. So we were West Coast guys. I didn't really know that much about Purdue. Yeah. I always thought we would partner with like a Foster Farms or, a, you know, there's a, a couple of the bigger chicken companies out West. Mm -hmm. um, but Purdue kind of came on our radar because of their history and what they had already done. And we sort of dated them essentially for six months or a year, had them out for farm tours, got to meet their leadership, like got to really know them. And it was just clear that they are the industry leader in this better for you, better for the planet space, as far as the big guys yeah, go. Yeah. And it just made a ton of sense for us to work with them on the on the project. That's so great. Yeah, you know, especially we were talking about sustainability and like I think you had mentioned it and we talked about it in the pre-show. Like I didn't get into diet or I mean, I just relied on a high metabolism and fucking getting totally. ready for the PFT. Exactly. For most of my life. Right. And so I felt like I could eat anything. Like right. as a matter of fact, I probably should eat simple carbs because I need the energy right, right the energy. now. Right. Um and then, yeah, as I've gotten older, now that I've got kids, it's just like, dude, I don't want them eating this garbage. Yeah, that's what's a trip about it, man. It's uh, your life changes, or your mindset changes a lot when you're feeding somebody else, not just yourself. Right. I can go work it off or I can deal with sore kneecaps or whatever. But when you're taking care of somebody else, it's like a different story. Yeah. You know? I mean, and like, you know, having just driven cross country, like you drive past some of these cattle ranches and you could literally, I don't know, literally, but it seems like you could literally walk on the backs of all of the cows packed in pretty tight packed in so tight man and i'm like i want to cry for them but then i also want to cry for my boys like if they eat beef this is what they're eating it's really a shame yeah i mean um the industry is like it's like it's gone so far down the whole industrial revolution of bigger faster cheaper better without an eye towards the animals welfare the environment or my own personal like conviction for doing this, the health of the meat that we're actually feeding our right, family. Right, because when they're stressed, oh, I mean, yeah. science shows, right, that like there's a ton of like really poisonous enzymes that start to enter into the meat, right? Yeah, I mean, look, our meat is, air quotes, safer than it ever has been before as far as not making people literally sick. Ebola and all Which that, was right. 50 years ago, right. 100 years ago, that was a serious concern. Bad so we figured out the air quote food safety thing but the nutrient density is like where it's really scary to me. So um, Patagonia did a study like comparing the, the nutrient density or the vitamin A specifically of an orange in the 1950s to an orange now. And this is an orange, so it's nothing yeah. to do with meat. Right. Um, nine times more vitamin A in our oranges 60 years ago or 70 years ago compared to now. And there's no different genetics. There's no, it's literally the soil mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that does not have the nutrients that it once had yeah. that's feeding that orange. So it looks like an orange. It also, I mean, it may kind of taste like an orange, but it's not an yeah, orange. Yeah, it's just empty calories. That's the same goes for broccoli and for radishes and for chicken and everything. Like when we're not farming our animals with an eye towards like the nutrient density that we're putting out, it freaks me out. And look at that track. I mean, it's not slowing down. It's yeah. speeding up. Yeah. The nutrient density is just leaving our food. And so I think that comes to a collision course before we know it. Maybe it already did. Yeah, yeah. I think we're on Maybe that blind did. path, man. Because, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, the population isn't shrinking. No. And people got to eat. Yeah. And especially richer countries want to eat better stuff. Yeah. Or they want to eat as much stuff. They don't want to have to cut back and they're sure as hell aren't hunting. Right, right. So yeah, where is it coming from and how are we putting food on tables, right? And so... It's yeah. what me like as a dad is what kind of really motivates me. Like if I, if I put my consumer hat on, not my farmer hat, and I right. think about regenerative agriculture, like people are geeking out on that buzzword now. But as a dad, I don't care that much about some random farmer's soil in the Midwest. Like, that's fine. It's cool to do right by the environment. That's nice. But what I really care about is giving my kids the best, most nutritious food possible. Right, right. And so to me, that's where the intersection really comes is like, I'm willing to you know, spend a couple extra bucks on something that's way better for my kids. Agreed. Um, and I don't know that people at large are really going to care about soil health and carbon sequestration. And it's like, some people do. Yeah. You know, going to LA, like you'll find some really conscious consumers that are trying to do right by the environment, the average person right. is just That's trying to feed their family the best food they can. Yeah, right. So until we can tell that story, um, and we have crazy data back on when you raise animals on pasture where they're foraging and they're pecking and scratching, they're eating 
a mixed varied diet they're getting exercise they're getting sunshine it's like and this isn't to toot our own i mean this is like anybody who raises chicken this way 50 percent higher vitamin a 50 percent higher vitamin e like four times higher nadh glutathione dipeptides like all these micronutrients the profile is like two different foods yeah yeah know, which is crazy and we in america we price food on like dollars per pound i don't even know if that makes that much sense anymore because it's like who cares if you're paying an extra 20 cents per pound more but you're getting four times the nutrients right exactly you know what i'm saying so like yeah. i can eat a whole costco chicken and this isn't trying to bash costco but i could sit down and eat a whole rotisserie chicken from costco when i eat like pasture-raised chicken i'm pretty much full of like a drumstick and a stock right right so it's like i don't know that this whole price per pound thing even That's makes such the a most good sense point. anymore i didn't you know? even think about like appetites right you know we have like you know an, an epidemic in obesity is because right. people aren't satiated when they eat and how, how do you get satiated off a bag of fritos and yeah. 10 sodas it's or like garbage chicken right Right. Like you said, I could eat an entire rotisserie chicken and not get what I would, what you would get from a pasture raised. It's crazy. Breast and drumstick. Right. Like something that would be like very equitable, meet all of the, you know, whatever the FDA, like food zone exactly. things on your plate. But yet, you know, you have to eat an entire thing just to feel a little yeah, bit yeah. full. Chicken is not chicken. Carrots are not carrots. Right. It's like, it all depends on how it's grown and the soil that's literally growing it, you know? Yeah, I don't want to give my kids milk and say, hey, you need this for calcium, and then hear from the, the pediatrician that they're calcium deficient. I wonder what happened. Yeah. yeah I wonder what happened there. So, yeah, it's, it's a whole new world. I mean, it's funny because it's new, but it's very old. You know, let food be, be thy medicine. I think that statement's like 500 years old or 1,000 yeah. years old. Um, but it's all starting to come back. So it's like raising animals on pasture. I mean, that's not a new concept. Yeah. Moving animals, not having them be stationary, that is not a new concept. Like we didn't come up with anything remotely new. This is the way it's been done for thousands of for years sure. or millions of years. Yeah. If you look at bison herds, yeah. they're all migratory. Like animals were never meant to stand on top of each other living on their own shit. Right. Like right. that's not the way it's meant to be. So we've really like bastardized raising animals and to be honest even the way that we manufacture plants is really sketchy now too yeah, so yeah. Um, we've gone so far on trying to create cheap food that's only cheap because we're subsidizing it too yeah, by the way yeah, it really yeah. shouldn't be as cheap as it is well like you said i mean if you if i can eat just a portion of what it would normally be yeah maybe in the immediate yeah. it may seem more expensive but over the long haul if i can make a chicken last a couple days yeah, exactly vice having to buy go to the store every you know three days right yeah i mean the long haul it's going to be more cost effective as well well here's a stat for you too so go a hundred years ago and you look at um like a hundred percent of somebody's income where did they spend it it was like 40 percent goes to food this is like in the 1920s or yeah, so 40 yeah. percent goes to food less than 10 percent to healthcare. fast forward 100 years it's legitimately inversed where 40 percent goes to healthcare and 10 percent is spent on our food and it's like it's, it's cheaper. Again, in yeah. air quotes, it's cheaper, but who are you paying? Do you want to pay the farmer? Do you want to pay the doctor? Right. You know, do you want to actually invest in your long-term health or do you want to have this like quasi, you know, it looks like you're getting cheap food, Yeah. but are you really, you know? Well, and then the, to, to beat the drum of your mission statement is, is that with the sort of income divide the way it is, many, many, many people, probably the vast majority of people aren't, don't have access. Right. Exactly. Right. And so that that divide just gets exacerbated and totally. that pendulum or whatever that paradigm just gets so out of whack because now people are really just having to spend way more on health care because they don't have access to nutrient dense foods. That's why we started the company. I mean yeah. it was just like we had this awesome direct to consumer brand, but it was so expensive. And um as awesome as it is, it's like, dude, my parents couldn't have afforded this. Mm -hmm. So what are we really even building here? Um, and that's that's like our passion now is how do we make these foods more mm -hmm. in line? Because you have, I, I would bet you 80 or 90% of people would spend a little bit extra for way healthier food. I think so. I had a conversation with a guy today that was like, I don't care how the animal is raised. It ends up on my plate one way or another, on my grill one way or another. And I'm like, okay. You do have the occasional person like that. I actually think that that's the minority though. I think most people, if they could get something that was better for them, 
for around the same price, they would prefer it. Yeah. I think that uh, that's most people's camp. So, um, but as it stood, it's this crazy divide between like health food being gnarly expensive. Pasture raised chicken has historically been four times more expensive than store bought chicken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, even if you want to, most families just simply cannot afford to spend four times more because the chicken was raised on pasture. Right, right, yeah. right. But could they spend 14% more, 10% more? Like, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think they would want to. Yeah. And there's also that transparency. Cause I think you said like, none of us go out and like, hey, I want to eat something that was treated like shit all its life. I don't think so, yeah. But we also don't trust the labels either. Right. So you're just like, I've got no choice. I'm just going to go with the cheapest thing. Yeah. Um, and so if you have that transparency and you are building that trust and you are coming in good faith, like who wouldn't want to do that? And like you said, for a modest increase, yeah. I yeah. think it's a reasonable thing to ask. And we're not there yet, dude. I mean, we're still really building this. Our stuff still is pretty expensive compared to the conventional. But I feel like we're on this path to like make things more affordable and the transparency is huge i talk to people all the time i'm deep in this industry now 10 years in i know what every one of those certifications you know don't mean essentially like i could play the game you name the label i call it i, I name the loophole like yeah, every right. one of them's got something right where you can kind of skirt around what it's in its intention was and consumers are super confused you walk through the grocery store and it's like the side of a NASCAR truck with 20 different certifications right. and third parties and yeah. it's like this and that, all the attributes and it's like, man, when did we stop telling stories and just rely on stickers to like tell our stories? So I think um, as farmers, that's an area we can do way better. Yeah. Like, people don't want to hear these stories. We started doing something um, really crazy, I guess, which is a live stream. We just go put a, uh, you know, iPhone inside of the coop and we just run it live for hours, like once a week or twice a week. And, um, that's not to say that we're perfect or that we're like, you know, beyond anything. Like we still have tons of room for improvement too, but we think people want that, man. People want to yeah. be able to see exactly how their food's being raised. And you know, you could look in there and say, Oh, like the, uh, I think the bird should have more sunshine or more out uh, access or different things. But it's like, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to show you exactly how we're doing it we've had we've also had 25 26 thousand people now come for farm tours like a real life farm tours where they walk the field and they see the animals for themselves and it's like sometimes i think people get here and they're like oh i expected to see you know 10 birds running around in a big open field that's not what we're doing like we raise you know 10 20 thousand birds a week for the market like we're not the guys that are just a few birds running around right um, but we want you to see it and like see what it is and see what it's not too. I think right. um, people yearn for that like transparency. So I we want to give it right. to them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we're in a world now where information is so readily accessible. Yeah. It's like, well, if you're not making it accessible, like what are you trying to hide then? Totally, totally. So that's really great. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna hit pause you're really good. quick. We're supposed to be going to Texas next, uh, this weekend, but my sister-in-law was going to watch the kids at night, like stay with them and stuff. Uh -huh. And her ma mother-in-law just had like a crazy heart attack. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, gnarly. She almost died, dude. Died like uh, last weekend, but they brought her back and she's doing okay. She's like 65, so. Yeah, my, my father actually passed away at 67 from a heart attack. Oh my gosh, dude. Sorry. And so talking about food, man, like, wow. yeah, he was a marathon runner. Had some uh, wow. back injuries and stuff uh, and then just threw you know, over medication, he ballooned up to like almost 350 pounds. Frick. Yeah. And so, yeah, 67 passed away back in 2009. So. Sorry. Man. Yeah. It's again, it's dying, man. You know, it is. Just, yeah. But those meds though, they throw you on those meds and there's, it's like a, not a lot you can do sometimes. Yeah. And they make your body do all kinds of weird stuff. You know? Yeah, exactly. And it just, that's yeah. what I'm worried about for her now too. It's not my sister-in-law, but it's her mother-in-law. Right. And, uh, they got her on. 20 different meds twice a day and i'm just like dude it's not good you can eat as clean as you want well eating clean will help you know but those meds make you just crave different things and just yeah, yeah it's not good and it's the dependency issue I too then i know it's so rough well hey um so as we're talking pasture bird again i, I just it, it's so mind-blowing that this started as a facebook post yeah so what and i, and I saw you you did a ted talk and you talked a lot about like um, the value of making mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
we did talk a little bit about how you came up, but like what for our listeners who either have transitioned or about to transition, like what is it about making mistakes, at least in the, in the farming business that has been successful for you and even making mistakes in the Marine Corps that has sort of given you that foundation mm -hmm. to be successful at this? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can really be successful without putting yourself in a spot where you can at least make a mistake. And it's like knowing what mistakes are okay to make. Right. I could risk losing 500 bucks. It wasn't the end of the world. I wasn't mortgaging my house. I wasn't like, you know, mm -hmm. I wasn't going crazy. I was going to go bankrupt or something yeah, if I yeah. lost 500 bucks. So um, it was a, it was a kind of a low risk mistake, really. And I wasn't even really planning all this stuff. It was much more like, this would be a fun hobby. Let's just do it in the backyard. It'd be something interesting to do after coming home from Iraq and kind of like bored with this accounting job. Right. I, I had no vision of building a chicken empire. You know? <laughs> that was not at all on my radar. Right. So it was like, it was much more of like, as these, you know, I would say as God kind of opened these doors, it was like, what, really? Like, you want me to go get 500 chickens? Like, okay. I mean, the opportunity is there. Right. It's a small risk to take. And the mistake became increasingly like, smaller and smaller at that point. Yeah. So um, that was huge for us and our family. And I would say like we were certainly blessed and or lucky along the way, but we would have never even had a chance to be successful had we not like put ourselves in that position. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. I, I, I definitely get that. I think that there's a certain level, like success is almost self-fulfilling. Mm. Especially for Marines, yeah. for service right. members, you, you sort of, grow up in this world where everyone tells you this shit. Yep. And so when you have success, you're like, well, of course I'm a Marine. Like this is part, like this is part of the package. hundred percent. But then we're so hard on ourselves. We eat our young <laughs> when someone screws up yeah. and we don't look at the value of like, Hey, no, this is how you change. This is what resonates because if I just, you know, the, I always wondered, there's always that, you know, that, that old axiom of like, oh, it's better to be lucky than good. Mm -hmm. I never really understood what that meant. I be quite honest, I still don't really, yeah, yeah. but I do feel like when you are successful, you don't know the difference. Right. Sometimes it's luck and you call it, it's because I'm good. And then you get other axioms like, well, you create your own luck, which is very true, but you don't learn anything from that. I think we, the learning comes from those mistakes. Yeah. And yeah. I'm with you, dude. I think the Marine Corps is, well, I don't know. You know, the OODA loop. Remember the OODA loop? Yeah, dude. Yeah. What for is sure. it? Observe, orient, decide, act. And there it is, man. Yeah. That's, pound business. It in. That's business all day. Yeah. You know? So you could call it a failure when we have something go upside down, or you could just think of it as like, okay, that's a, that's a note in my book. That's a learning opportunity. Like, I'm not going to do that again. Right. Um, what, what what the heck even is failure you know yeah. aside from like a massive blow up in my marriage or going bankrupt and like not being able to recover from it i didn't put i don't think i don't, I don't think i put anything on the line that was true failure mm -hmm. it was like i'm fine to make mistakes and learn from them and i would actually even say okay yeah we were lucky but i could actually think of like five different spin-off businesses that could have also taken off from just putting ourselves in this like kind of wacky farming business. Like we thought about, uh, you know, a real estate development company oh, yeah. doing homesteads and selling them. We thought about, I even had like an online course for a while where I taught people how to market their farms. There was like nice. all these different branch off businesses that you could say were failures, but I wouldn't think so. Like we were just kind of casting the net out, yeah. see what takes. And then like, as that door opens, we just go through that one. So chicken for us was not what we intended on. I wanted to do beef cattle. Okay. I think cows are awesome. Like yeah, I yeah, love yeah. cows. Yeah, we have them right here on this yeah. farm. Uh, we have them on the other farm too. And it was just literally like, we talked a lot about SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. We didn't have any money. We're in Southern California. We don't have a lot of land. And there's like 20 good grass-fed beef programs already in the market. So guess what? Like that door pretty much closed. Mm -hmm. And it made a lot more sense for us to go into chicken where it's we're sunny 360 days a year. We can like do it on a credit card and it works for our financial situation. It's a product that doesn't really exist in the market. So it was like that OODA loop happening faster and faster. And it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, like there's a crazy opportunity in chicken. Not necessarily what I wanted to do, um, but it's paid off, you know? It's like really paid off. Yeah. Where if we would have just stuck to our guns and said, no, we're gonna do beef cattle. Or like my original thing was like, I wanna build an app that connects 
farmers to consumers or something like in the oh, tech space. Yeah. Um, I don't think it would have been a quarter as successful as what it's been because we like to listen to what's actually happening on the ground. Yeah. No, that's so cool. And then, so and I, I think about like this, that some of the things you're talking about, like sort of this measured. So it's not that you're just going into stuff, just all free willy nilly, like my hair yeah. on fire, yeah. like sell the house. We're going to do this thing. You are, they're calculated risks that totally. you're taking and you're, you're already factoring your ability to absorb a mistake, but you're not discounting the value of making the mistake. Yep. You just don't want it to break yep. the back of whatever it is you're doing. It continues to this day. You know, we launch a collaboration product with three other West Coast producers. So we did like a chicken with an olive oil with a locally grown pepper. And we launched it as this box. This is maybe six months ago. We thought, man, this is cool. Like, this is going to be awesome. People are going to geek out. We did a whole recipe card. It flopped, bro. Like, nobody bought this thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, you know what? Back to the drawing board. Like, yeah. that thing didn't work out. We're going to go figure out why, learn from it, and then we're going to do a better collab next time or market it differently yeah. or whatever. It's like, you could chalk that up as, oh, we just failed. Or, like, I just actually succeeded because I just learned, like, 10 things that yeah, don't exactly. work. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So it happens even still, you know? That's so cool. And then, so this is a new endeavor, this location that we're at. Yeah, right? it is. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to own land. We came up with no money and farmland is crazy expensive, especially in Southern California. So uh, we used to have a ranch. We would drive by the property that you and I are sitting on right now. I always kind of loved it. I fell in love with it and the price was so expensive. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, but as we were driving by it, I kept seeing the price kind of dropping and dropping. And so um, when we sold, pasture bird to Purdue. We had some extra capital and I wanted to put that capital into farmland. Um, and this property kind of came onto the market and I negotiated it with the landlord and eventually we were able to just close on it. So now it's kind of like our own family's research and development farm. I'm really fascinated by the intersection of plants and animals together, how plants feed animals, but animals really are meant to feed plants um, with their manure. And so we're doing what's called like a um, agroforestry here. We're gonna have an orchard um, where animals graze the strips in between the trees. And so it's mostly gonna be like a U-Pick style farm. Okay. Um, where people can come out and they can pick their peaches yeah. and plums and apples and kind of like have fun with that. But then the animals will actually be the fertility program for that. And we'll harvest some beef cattle and chickens and stuff like that too. So it's really like our own spot where we can invest in some longer term projects yeah on leased land we can never really plant trees because you don't know how long it's going to be there right but this we hope to like keep in the family and give to our kids and all that stuff and so we can invest in some much longer term stuff that's so that's such a great idea i mean is anybody doing anything like that i mean there's there there are you picks right they're less and less popular um and there's not too many in our area of like five hundred thousand people you know, there's a blueberry one and there's a strawberry one. Nobody's but they're not doing a mixed orchards. Though, right? No, no, yeah. I'm not doing the animal thing. So I think it's a really cool, yeah, unique deal. It sounds I cool. also, back to like accessibility and affordability, 90 cents of the fruit dollar goes to not the farm, right? So it's like the picking, the packing, mm. the logistics, the retailer, the distributor, like all these other people, 10 cents of that dollar ends up going back to the farm. So what if we cut out all of those guys and sold fruit at like, the price that we can sell it at if it's you pick. Yeah. So that's partly my hypothesis is like, how do we make locally grown, organic, regenerative, you know, peaches and apples and plums and raspberries and blackberries, like Walmart prices. Yeah. The catch being you have to come out and pick them. But really, I think for some families, like that's actually a bonus. That's yeah. Like, that's, that's an added value. Good day out with the kids. Or... Totally, totally. And again, you know what you're getting. It's nutrient dense. It's hard to slap a label on something you pick. <laughs> right. You can see, you know, yeah. you can see what's going on here. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. It's a it's a very long-term project. Like it's a 10-year development kind of thing. We have a test plot planted with 300 trees and about 800 berry bushes. We'll get a little bit of fruit from it this year, but really like next year is the okay. year um, that we'll start to see a real harvest from it. So now it's like all the fun stuff of working with the city and try to allow, you know, commercial production and, uh, and yeah. people to come on the farm. So it's like Dude, the devil's in the details. It, yeah. Man. Devil's in the details. Well, and, and so as we transition um, the topics, this is a great, I think, launching point as we start talking about transitioning um, either into new endeavors out of the, mm -hmm. out of the military service, 
um, you know, the, mul the multitude of ways that we in the human experience transition, mm -hmm. you know, I guess from one thing to the next. It's just when you look at where you are now, obviously taking some risk again, learning from previous mistakes, capitalizing on previous successes. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like the Marine Corps, did it set you up for this? I would say so. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, like the Marine, the whole idea is that you're going to get the job done with like shitty tools. You know? Yeah. 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 Like you're not going to have the air force tool set at your right, disposal. Right, right, like right. you got to kind of just figure it out with what you've got. I think that's farming in a nutshell. So, um, we early on started working with the farmer veteran coalition, which is a really cool group that got us like a $5,000 grant for some irrigation supplies. And then they link you up with a mentor who's been in farming for a while. And, um, it, it's abundantly clear that like a farming career is really, um, I guess a, a, a military background is really beneficial to a farming career, especially like a small independent farmer. Yeah. But I don't think it's limited to farming at all. I think it's small business in general. The figure out how to get it done and work until it's finished mindset yeah. is like really, really beneficial. And like yeah. get knocked down, but always get up. Like there's no option. Yeah. And in startups, it's the same thing. Like you don't see too many successful startup founders that are people that are just going to give up easily. Yeah. You're not going to be in the game very long, you know, or they just had instant success coming out the gate, right? It's That's rare, not dude. Too, yeah. It's really rare in the startup world. Every story that looks like an instant overnight success, I guarantee you is met with like blood, sweat and tears. You know, sure. if you actually talk to the founder, like it's much gnarlier than it looks like from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. And then today you're hosting, talking about transition. You're some vets are coming in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for it. It's, um, NCAT is coming out for um, Arm to Farm event. So it's like 25 guys that I think are still in um, that are really interested in farming. And so we're just going to get them out here, kind of show what we have going on in this R&D farm, talk about whatever they want to talk about. I'm hoping, I think that's at the end of like a one week intensive for them. So I'm hoping to have a bunch of good questions and just yeah. like they can go as specific as what breed of chicken should I be raising up to like what business should I be starting in farming? You know, I'm in rural Ohio. Yeah. Like, would this type of business work? No. Like, if you know, a you pick business in a spot where you don't have anybody around you, right. it might not really be the best. But like, let's talk about Joel Salatin has this whole thing of like, there is no bad place to farm or good place to farm. It's like, what are you growing or doing that's unique to your surroundings and your right. capital and all that stuff. So. Um, it'll be fun to talk about all that stuff today. Yeah, that's really great. I think that's another thing I, I said, Henny really thought about, but like where you're situated, sort of in the middle between Los Angeles, San Diego, um, you know, Vegas to a certain yeah. degree. Yeah. You're you're in the middle of all of these massive built-up areas. So yeah, a you pick thing would be pretty great. Because I think so. Yeah. Someone who's really health conscious, nutrition conscious, probably would get a kick out of. Driving an hour out to your farm and doing a thing. Or even from our little valley out here, which is a half million people, but it's really like family centric. And so right. it's a great family activity to do. It's cheap. Yeah. It's fun. It's like nutritious. I mean, you'll rarely see a kid happier than one that's just free reign on eating blackberries out of a field. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like this is the best thing ever as a kid. So, and so for an Intel guy, that's sort of like your IPB, right? Like totally. you really got to take totally. a look and just map it out I like, like that yeah wow, i thought about that yeah well you done. can keep that one man. i'm gonna use that today <laughs> um and so what then would you say as far as um so i'm assuming as you said these guys are probably trans guys and gals are probably in the process of transitioning out maybe have done tap and tamp maybe mm -hmm. have it but what sort of ways can you either synergize with tap and tamp or kind of maybe give them perspectives that, that those, which I, I went through those transition totally. programs. You did too. I thought they were really great, yeah. but there is sort of this like cookie cutter yep. sort of thing because yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we've got hundreds of Marines, sailors, airmen, soldiers that are leaving on a daily basis and we've only got five days to get you ready. Yeah. I guess where's the synergy and where's sort of the juxtaposition where from what you've experienced having transitioned to what they're going to learn. Yeah. I mean, going we talked about this a little bit earlier, but like I just, I would say tap and tap just can't be your whole world. There's more out there than just defense contractor and, and trucker. <laughs> right, you know, like right, there right, is, right. there is more out there, especially There's more than your resume. Yeah. Within small business, especially, you know, um, and I'd love to talk to some of these guys about the, the value of like having a nine to five, 
but then starting your own thing off to the side and kind of like moonlighting for a little while while you have consistent income. That's what I did for like two years. Yeah. I was working as an accountant, um, but then kind of starting the farm thing on the side. And then I got it to a certain point where it was like, not really ready for me to jump off and do it full time, but it was trending that way. And it was like, all right, I'm ready to take this risk again. Yeah. Where it could have failed. Yeah. But like I could have also just gone back and been an accountant. Right. So what was the real risk there, you know? Right, right, right. Uh, and these guys, I mean, they, they they need to understand the value of their service, especially if they have an honorable discharge. Uh, it's great if they have a skill where they can fall back into a job or leverage like benefits and salary and, um, and start their own thing on the side. And I would really like to talk to these guys today about going against the idea of like, you have to go out and take a million dollar loan, buy a farm, buy cattle, buy a $250,000 tractor. Like that is the normal way to get into farming now. It is not the only way. Yeah. I would I would submit that it's not even close to being the best way at this point. Well, let's you talk know? about some of that because I was looking at some of like your earlier interviews when they would show sort of the aerial like drone footage of your farm. Mm -hmm. It was, you had the coop and you had a tractor yeah. that was pushing it. Yeah. Now yours are automated yeah. solar power, right? Yeah. And they... The, so can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, that? I mean, it's like our whole idea of scaling and automating and doing all this, like it, there was no tech that enabled a big farm to do that. So a company like Purdue that wants to do pasture-raised chicken, there was no infrastructure out there to be able to even do it. So that's another thing. It's like there's so many opportunities within ag. It's not all about just how many acres can you get, how much corn can you grow. Like mm -hmm. that's that's one thing you could do. I would say it's probably not a smart thing to do. You're going to go eyeballs in debt and, you know, just kind of doing what everybody else does, but you can break the mold. Like we said, here's a problem that these big guys have. They want to be regenerative. They want to do pasture raised, but there's no large scale solution to it. So right here in San Diego, um, our director of farm development, Dan Cody and myself and our co-founder, Jeff McDaniel basically came up with this idea for like a miniature 6,000 bird chicken coop that's on wheels powered by solar that drives itself to new spot every day. So there's no floor on the coop. The birds have their shade, they have their food and water, but the whole idea is like, instead of birds eating, shitting and sleeping on the same spot every single day, this thing will actually drive itself to a fresh spot of pasture. So we went out, we got investor funding. We like did a whole series A or seed round thing. Um, and we funded it and we built this like prototype. And that's what really got Purdue interested in what we were doing was this like large scale, pasture prototype. So it was a really unconventional way to break into ag. But at the same time, like, I don't think Purdue would have been that impressed if I'm doing 600, 6,000 or 60,000 chickens per week. It doesn't really matter to them. Right. They do millions, millions of chickens per right. week. So it's like, I could have spent my money trying to grow this big chicken business, which has been really hard. Or I could focus on like this thing that I thought fit into their puzzle really, really well. Yeah. And I think we were rewarded for doing it that way because we were able to like make a lot more money, a lot faster, get our, you know, our, our investors, their huge return and like, um, make some money for our family too. And that was just off of like, again, IPB or SWOT analysis or like, what can we actually have an impact on? Yeah. I don't have 50 million in the bank. Like I'm not going to go build a chicken empire on my own. Let me look at like what the industry really needs, build something custom tailored to that. And then kind of like cross your fingers, to be honest, because they could have said, oh, this is stupid. Yeah. I don't like it. And just walked away. You know, I would have been surprised if they would have done that because I think it is pretty cool what we built, you know. Um, but yeah, that was largely just like, what can we have an impact on? Where can we be good given our land base, our capital set, our own personal skill set, you know, and that's what we came up with was the automated range coop. Dude, that's so cool. And like, and, and to sort of juxtapose it for our listeners who aren't maybe aware or just assume that this is happening, this isn't happening everywhere. Right. Most places, it's what? Has a floor. It's just a barn. It's like a 24,000 bird stationary facility. And they open the door for an hour a day. And that would make it free range or, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's, and the birds don't go outside. That's yeah. Redone, yeah, maybe that's what birds do. They're not like eagles as soon as they yeah, see exactly, them. Like, exactly. right? They're not your dog that's going to run out and play in the <laughs> right. field. Like, a chicken is a prey animal. They want to be in the shade. They want to be close to their food and water. Like they don't want to really venture out. Safety in numbers. Yeah. You'll see like maybe egg layers, they'll venture out a little bit more, but by and large, they want to be close to their flock and they want to be close to their shade, you know, and their food yeah. and water. 
Um, so instead of trying to like kick these birds outside into an environment that they're not really even that comfortable in. And by the way, if you kick them to the same spot every day, what's going to happen? They're going to eat all that grass. They're going to shit on the ground. It's going to be like, yeah, they're going to eat know, their own poop eventually. It's going to be the same as yeah. keeping them inside. So instead of doing that, what if the barn actually moved itself like the herds of bison do, right? So if you look at a hundred years ago, 200 years ago in the U S like you had 80 million bison, and they would live in this big herd. They would eat the grass, poop on the ground, and then they would always be moving to a new spot. That manure is like the best fertilizer yeah. in the world. You know, well, anybody who shot out at uh, yeah, Camp exactly. and had to get shut bison. down for a day because yep. the damn bison won't leave. Exactly. <laughs> and that's a that's a tiny. I mean, that's a tiny representation of what our country actually looked like. That's why you have like black. You had really black, rich soil and crazy amount of water in the ground, like in the American Midwest, yeah. where we've now taken all that work that the bison did for a million years and just extracted the nutrients for corn and soybeans. You yeah. Know? yeah, it's actually really sad yeah. if you think about how much went into that and how we've just extracted Quickly. it. And it's like we're depleting that resource so fast. Yeah, you can't just keep doing that forever. So that's why I get really excited about this idea of like now we're at a scale where we can put chickens onto crop fields. Like, give me a thousand acres of corn. I will, I'll take a hundred of it for chicken. I'll put them on there for a year or two. And then I'll move to the next hundred acres, put the corn in behind me. And actually we can do this like plant animal integration, that I think has the ability to like change the way that, you know, the future of food looks. Man. It's really cool. And it's very cool. That's yeah, cool to be a part of. And, and all, it's not my idea. It's like nature came up with that. Right. We're just applying it on a different overlay to farming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, that in you know, and before the show started, we talked about like you know, the demand signal, and I think you, in certain respects, are, are meeting that demand signal. But you're already sort of also sort of triggering that, yeah. And for people who maybe didn't realize that this is a thing that they could participate in, totally. Um, I, I I know I f I feel you know sort of rejuvenated because it's really easy to get, to get just exasperated by the labels yep. and the complexity of like all this stuff and who's telling the truth and who's bullshitting me, yep. who's actually doing what they say that they're doing. It's like, like a very depressing space. It's hard. Walking through the grocery store, there's not a lot of positivity or yeah. optimism. I think that's what the difference, so we talk about regenerative agriculture and sustainable agriculture being really different targets. So like with sustainability, it's the idea that you know, the best we could ever be is a net, you know, neutral. Right. And it's like, no, bro. Like we're called to steward the land, yes, which yeah. means like we can make it better every single year. And I think it's been a depressing model. Like, well, we just assume that we're going to have, uh, you know, we're going to try to just minimize negative impact. That's a depressing mission. Like yeah, we're yeah. just going to try to be as, just as to congratulate least you for that. bad as possible. Like, come on. But this idea of regenerative, which is, applies to plants and animals and, and, um, and, you know, fiber for like, our homes and our, and our clothes yeah, that we wear, yeah. um, that we can actually like work with nature in a way that builds organic matter and sequesters carbon and like increases nutrient density and gives animals like a high level of, you know, high level of humane life. Um, that's what's really exciting to me. Well, you see, you can see it in the pictures, like some of yeah. your posts, like yeah. you show the, the land that you had prior right. to, I think it was 2012 and now look at it. I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous. Like, it's insane. You can't imagine, I mean, even driving up here, it was like brown, brown, brown. Oh, yeah. this is really green. I guess this is where Paul's at. You're here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. And it just keeps getting better. That's what's fun about doing this regenerative thing. Is it's like you walk out in that field and you come back in two years. It will, I promise you, it will look far better than it does now. And yeah. this was a dirt field like two years ago. You know, That's straight crazy. like nothing growing dirt field. So it's it's like partnering with nature and having you know farm as your office dude i'm blessed like dude, i gotta pinch amazing. myself sometimes yeah. because it's like to be able to do that is yeah a really well, as a marine thing. i can't imagine yeah something that could be more rewarding it's really fun and it's like i feel like we're in the golden age of this regenerative thing right now not that it hasn't happened before i, I would say native americans firmly understood the value of right. like passing on healthy soil to their kids they right. would have said healthy soil is actually way more important than like cash or money in the bank or anything like soil is where you store wealth. Um, so this idea is not new by any means, but it's like, it's fun to work with nature 
imperfectly. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like fumbling through all this stuff, you know, but to be able to do it and try and see the reward and like yeah. feed it's families, tangible, it's man. freaking rad. Yeah. Know? It's really fun. That's so cool, man. Well, where can we find you? Um, links to like, where are you at? You're on Facebook, you're on Instagram. Is that right? Yeah, just... we have um, pastorbird accounts everywhere. Like you can follow that. I personally do a lot of my posts on LinkedIn just because yeah. I feel like the conversations are a, lo a little more substantial there. It's not just like haters or yes, you know, yes, yes, Instagram, yes. Facebook's like kind of lame now, but um, we do post there like our company does. I yeah. personally mostly post on, on um, LinkedIn. I like to refer people if they're interested in farming or food or any of that. Um, APA, the American Pastured Poultry Producers Association is like a really great starting point to go learn. There's a big message board. So that's APPPA.org. Uh, if you're looking for like a farm that does pasture raise near you, that would be getrealchicken.com. That's okay. a, a resource that we put together. To, I, I want people buying local. Yeah, yeah. You can sure. buy pasture bird nationwide. We'll ship it to your door. But like, I would rather see people buy local. And if you can't find it locally, then get it from us kind of thing, yeah. you know? Okay. Or wait until we're in your local grocery store. Cause yeah, that's, that's what man, we're really that's working what, on. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting on that too. But yeah, yeah I mean, we're definitely going to be in touch. Yeah. And uh, this has been so great, man. I like one of the things I love about this job, man, is just getting to meet super interesting people like you. So That's thank cool. you so much for being so generous with your time. Yeah. And uh, man, I'd love to uh, maybe get you back on and see how things are going with your new project. Yeah, come back in a couple of years. That'd be awesome. Yeah, for sure, dude. All right, man. All right, thanks, man. Thank you. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am Nick Wilson. That is Major Vic Rubel, U.S. Marine Corps retired. You have also heard the voices of or contributions from William Truding or Nancy Lichman, editors of Gazette and Leatherneck Magazines, respectively. Opinions expressed in Scuttlebutt are just that, opinions, and do not represent any official stance of the MCA.